Can you tell listeners what the purpose or the aim of Brisbane Free University is? Yeah, well, I suppose what we do practically is arrange for free lectures on a range of topics to be held in places that are open to everybody. And so on the, the practical level, that's sort of what it is. It's essentially a very um, like open, grassroots community education program. At least that's what we want it to be. Like, that is the aim. You know? um, but there are also deeper ideological motivations burning away underneath that. Um, I think a lot of it's to do with a love of, of learning for learning's sake, this idea that it's beautiful and fun to learn about the world and to come together to do that and that that doesn't, doesn't require further justification and certainly not monetary justification, but that's, that's a reason enough in itself. Um, but there is more than that. It, I think it is political as well in a couple of ways. Like We believe that education in itself has the potential to be politically empowering like on the individual and also community level. Uh, I guess to, to some extent at least the belief that, that knowledge is power, as they say, and that the better we understand what's going on in the world, the better chance we have of being able to influence it. I think it's also it's political in another way in that it's a, a protest, I suppose, against the increased role that money is playing in higher education in Australia. Uh, it's a bit of a critique of the paid university system. Um, and we, we don't seek to re- replace that system, and we're not um, anti it. We're actually... We're actually for it, which is why we kind of want to open a space in which we can critique it and we can hope to to talk about ways in which it can be better, I think, but also about ways in which we can have um, education that sits outside of those big institutions and take power and responsibility for, for our own education, I suppose. How did it all get started and where like, where did the idea come from to set it up? Uh, well, there's there's three of us that have set it up. Um, it's myself, so my name's, my name's Bryony, and... I've set it up um, with, with two close friends called Cern Thompson and Anna Carlson. Um, and we all came together and started working on the project late last year. And I think it, the inspiration came for us all, I think, um, from, from different and multiple sources. I think maybe there was a, a commonality of, of feelings of both deep love and wistful dissatisfaction towards the university, which we could all spend a bit of time in. Uh, we all sort of shared this experience of of it being, you know, a really exciting and beautiful time in our lives and the, the learning being so exciting and the ideas being so exciting, but also the sense of it being being restricted and, and feeling getting increasingly restricting, I suppose. And so I think that was a factor. Um, but Brisbane Free Uni itself is probably most directly inspired um, by the Free Uni, by the free University, so that was set up as a part of Occupy Brisbane. Uh, that wasn't a project that I was involved in. Um, but I think they were, and I think they were doing something quite different from what we're doing too. But that's the first time I'd heard the words free and university put together, and they did sound really good together. <laughs> um, and I think that was something that got us thinking and uh, reading about other free university projects and radical education theory and stuff. And then we later learnt that there was a free university in Melbourne, um, which when CERN, just by chance, actually ended up working with, and and then in the end, becoming good friends with one of Melbourne Free University's co-founders. Um, his name is Gerhard Hofstetter. I hope I said his last name right. I feel like he deserves to have his last name said right. He's a really good guy. Um, and he's been a really great support to us, offering us lots of advice and encouragement and enthusiasm at the beginning. So it was sort of that, yeah, it's just sort of a mixture of factors, I suppose, that all sort of came together into the, the perfect storm. You mentioned earlier about um, critiquing university live it like communities and life and education so you must offer that in your sessions and what else can people gain out of like the sessions that you guys offer 
Um, we hold sessions on a on a variety of topics, um, and I think that there's we don't really. I think when we were setting it up, we sort of wanted to set it up more as an opening of a space than anything else. So what what people will gain out of the sessions will be a lot dependent on what on what they bring to the sessions themselves and what the um, the lecturers are bringing to the sessions too. I think um, so that's a big factor, and they. But they also, I think, so I think it's that experience, I suppose, that I think a real face-to-face experience of being in that kind of space is a part of it. I think there's a lot of really, um, really awesome and interesting uh, free education stuff going on online at the moment. Um, but we didn't want to do that. We are podcasting the sessions, um, but we do want to try and have a real emphasis on that, that real sort of face-to-face together in a space. Um, learning and making connections with each other as well. So it has like a, a wider kind of social community aspect attached to it. So I think there's that. And then, then sort of within that, there's a, a variety of, of different individual topics um, that the lectures are on. And then I guess you can learn more specifically about those things as well. It's really interesting that you talk about the face-to-face interaction that students can gain from attending Free University. Because um, I, I've interviewed a university lecturer and a past student who, when university was free, and she she stated that um, face-to-face experience gives students and lecturers and academics a greater opportunity to learn. I would agree with that so much from my own experiences as a student. And I think that it's one of the things that's getting um, really squeezed out of universities at the moment. Uh, to do, and I think to do with the, I guess, general funding cuts. I think it's getting squeezed sort of out of some areas more than others, I suppose, because areas like the arts and humanities um, aren't the big money makers. And so as we have a, a increasing corporatization of universities, universities being run like businesses, these areas get less money. Um, therefore, the, our staff are, are overworked and underpaid and the classes are bigger and the facilities are smaller. And one of the big factors that gets cut down is the time that staff can spend with the students, the teachers can spend with the students. And I think it's a real loss. Like, I don't think there's any, any replacing that. I don't think there's any replacing that, um, that sense of, of mentorship, you know, that I think uh, universities probably once had the capacity to offer students a lot more than they do now. I think it's, I think it's a real loss. What are some of the education, because you mentioned a few just then, what are some of the education policies in the current climate that are really restricting students, like the idea of casualisation of um, lecturers? Yeah, I think um, I think the casualisation is, is a really good example. I think um, that is something that leads to people, like lecturers being you know, overworked, underpaid, they don't have job stability, there's that public or, publish, sorry, publish or perish mentality um, that means that people always have to feel like that they don't, you know, also get this thing published and get that thing published while running these classes, while doing this, that they might lose their jobs and so it's under heaps of pressure um, because they don't have that sort of job stability that was once available. I think casualisation is really sad in that way and I think it's a threat. It's less symptomatic of any particular educational policy and more so of the sort of the frighteningly dominant capitalist logic of our society in a sort of a wider way, you know. Um, like, I feel like we're in real danger of ending up in a single value system where the only value we're able to think of in, is, is money. Um, and I think that's, I don't know, I think it's really worrying. And I think that this is what sort of we see embodied in education policy and we see like demand-driven models of, of universities that mean that universities, universities can enrol 
any number of students they like, and there's been a government sort of support of this kind of idea. Um, and it's that idea that it'll, you know, that doing this will, will put make universities more competitive and better. You know, it's a really sort of capitalist competition logic that I just think is totally bogus and really frightening. Um, and what and what the real results of this stuff, I think, was well, you know, it puts more pressure on smaller universities, and I think we'll lose some. But I also think that you see. Yeah, you need to see this, this cutting of funding um, to to like the the less money making kind of courses. You know, the money goes towards courses like I guess business and science, the sort of vocational and big money earners, and the arts and the humanities miss out. And so we have the growing class sizes, and we have the overworked staff, and we have the. Um, I was talking to a friend uh, yesterday actually about her experience of studying as a visual artist and watching the sort of losses that they're having in that area at the moment. Um, in terms of, you know, studio space and availability of equipment. And I think really significantly for the arts and the humanities is in the cutting of courses and majors. And there just aren't as many subjects available anymore because, you know, the, the money isn't there because the, the courses aren't valued by a system that values mainly money. Um, and it's a big problem for students. Like, I think a really, really good example has been the recent cutting of the Queer Studies major at UQ, which was the only... I think that was the only place in university where you can still do a queer studies major. And this is, and I think it's really important that this isn't just a problem for students, like I can't emphasise that enough, like we're living in a, a society um, that really needs these kind of specialisations, like it's a problem for society as a whole, like the arts and humanities stand best positioned to critique the systems of power within our society, so they're really important. Gender studies is a perfect example because we're living in this really gendered sexist society in a really gendered sexist world. Um, and we just can't afford to lose the study of that as a specialisation. Like, I think it's really dangerous. But I think this sort of overall corporatising of universities is doing exactly this. And um, I think it's, it's this kind of stuff that I think the Brisbane Free University stands in resistance to. This is that kind of notion. You talked there about um, the uncapping of classes at university and the oversizing of classes at university. Obviously, Brisbane Free University, anyone's welcome to come. So... It's open to all people regardless of their economic status. Yeah, that is the idea. Yeah, it's just, um, yeah, and I guess uh, class size is, is sort of, yes, to be a problem for us. But, um, but yeah, it is, it's a totally open space. Um, we've been holding it so far. We'll probably move around the space we hold it in. We have been holding it so far um, out of a, a car park um, in West End, which has been great. Um, but we'll probably... We probably will try and move it around, maybe try it out in different areas at some stage. But yeah, definitely the idea is is for it to be really open and to have and to try and make it inclusive in any ways, you know, all ways that we can. Like we want to be able to have, I guess, people coming from a wide range of disciplines and academic disciplines. But we have a real emphasis on um, using non-specialised language uh, in no way. Uh, oversimplifying or dumbing down the, the content at all, but just trying to be really, really mindful of accessibility and to make it a, a place where um, there's no taboo on, on not knowing stuff or not having a particular background. But yeah, so I think that's, that's a really important part of it. And I think that's another thing that maybe is a problem with the wide sort of mainstream university system is I don't know if it's I don't feel like it's that inclusive. But I also think that we want to, we want to sort of foster the, the idea that you don't have to be within an institution to be having um, interesting conversations or learning cool stuff, you know? Like, 
and this is something we can do in our communities as well. So you've talked about how this has kind of benefited, how you know, your university has kind of benefited students, but can you talk a little bit about how it's benefiting lecturers? Well, that has been really interesting, actually. Um, and we've just, I don't know, we've had a different kind of response from the lecturers we've approached than perhaps we might have expected. Um, like we've mainly approached people we found through our networks and we've had our friends recommend um, great speakers that they've seen and this sort of stuff. And then we, the feedback's just been so positive. Like, we've had the experience of approaching people and I guess maybe feeling a little guilty about asking them to, to volunteer their time for free when I was saying they're already underpaid and working so hard, you know. Um, but we've so often been met, not just with, you know, agreement and, yeah, and so, so, you know, they accept the invitation to come and do it, but often with a sense of gratitude and excitement at being asked, um, which has been really lovely. And I think the, the reason for this is that the restrictions within tertiary education, like the ones we've been talking about, um, they're really hard on teachers too. Um, and I think people, like people who are coming in speaking for us, they agree with the, the ethos of the project and they want to support it, you know. Um, I think they feel frustrated within the university system and they're excited to get to talk about the things that they feel passionate about to people who are only there because they're interested in learning about those things. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the, the feedback's been really positive from the people we've spoken to and and um, and we've been really yeah, excited by how many people have been keen to speak. This is one of my final questions. What do you think of Queensland as the smart state? Um, <laughs> I feel like... Um, I think that with this question, it would be really easy to, to focus on the negatives um, with Queensland at the moment, because I am, you know, I'm quite appalled with many of the ways that Queensland is currently moving, particularly with a lot of the recent behaviours of our state government. Um, I don't think a lot of them have been very smart at all. <laughs> but I, um, I think that being involved with the Brisbane Free University has given me a real sense of hope um, about about this part of the world. Um, because the response has been so enthusiastic and the turnout's been great and people want to talk to us on the radio and, you know, it's really exciting. I think the sense of enthusiasm is very, is in a way very Queensland because I think Queensland is at the moment like a really amazing place for setting up new things and trying out new projects. People are, are just so hungry for interesting stuff and so interested. Um, and I feel like sometimes Queensland has a bit of a bad rep and people complain about it being a cultural vacuum. Um, but they, they miss something about that vacuum, which is that it's, it's, it's this hungry thing, it's a sort of beautiful, fertile space that's just, you know, crying out for new ideas and new projects. It's a world of opportunity, you know, and, and it's also an incredibly non-pretentious part of the world, I feel, and I, there's something about that that I find very liberating and, and, and lovely. And so I think there's, and there's loads of potential here, you know, I actually think that it's a really exciting and interesting place to live and to be doing this sort of stuff, and I think if we can, you know, step up to the plate and take that on, there's just... There's so much fun to be had and there's so much to be gained. Um, so, yeah, I really love it. I think our, um, there's a lot to be complained about um, in Queensland at the moment, but there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of really awesome stuff going on and I think it's really important that we, we don't lose heart and that we take advantage of the, um, the, the richness and opportunity and vibrancy that exists in, in the people here, you know, in the communities at a real grassroots level. Do you want to give us a little bit of a plug for the university? So when it's on next, how do people get there and what it's what the next session is about? I would love to give a little plug for the free university. Um, we've actually got a session coming up on Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday, 
I think it'll be a really good one. It's called uh, West End's Shrinking Public Realm, Development, Disadvantage and Culture in Brisbane's Most Inclusive Neighbourhood. Um, so it's a good long title. Uh, we've got two speakers. One is Peter Walters, who's an urban sociologist. And we've also got a, a guy called Cameron Parcel. Uh, Parcel, probably, actually, um, who's been researching people living in urban spaces and homelessness accommodation. And so that's the topic of the, the talk on Tuesday night. There will also be um, tea and a book swap <laughs> if anyone wants to come. Uh, we're currently holding the, the free uni in the car park under the Westpac Bank, um, the irony of which is not lost on me, um, on Boundary Street in West End. And it's right near a stop for the 199 bus, so it's really easy to find and the, um, the car park opens out into the street and we put up a big um, hand-painted banner that says Brisbane Free University, so you shouldn't be able to miss it. We also have quite a lot of uh, online presence, though, if people want to learn more about it that way. We have a website, which is just brisbanefreeuniversity.org, and a Facebook. Uh, if you just search for Brisbane Free University on Facebook, you'll probably find it, but it's also just www.facebook.com forward slash university. You can email us on brisbanefreeuniversity at gmail.com. And so we're very findable in this way. We hope to have um, on our website in the near future a list of upcoming events because we're actually we're getting to a stage now where we have um, events lined up sort of for the next couple of months, sort of pretty fortnightly, mainly on Tuesday nights, but it's flexible to when the speakers are able to, um, you know, best be available for us. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot going on, and uh, word of mouth is the most powerful thing for us. So if you like the sound of the project. It's, um, you know, drop into a session, bring your friends, talk to people about it. But really importantly, if anyone has a recommendation for a topic or a speak, or anyone would like to speak, um, again, please hit us up on our email or our Facebook. We're really open to, to trying a broad variety of ideas and, and we're really excited about it, having more people involved as well.